Before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to the podcast sponsor, that is FC Sensory. FC Sensory are a football club based in Coventry, offering free football sessions to visually impaired and blind people of all ages across the city and the surrounding areas. They are currently looking for people under the age of 16 and especially over the age of 16 to take part in their sessions. If you would like to know more, please email fcsensory at protonmail.com. That's fcsensory at protonmail.com. I know growing up in Coventry myself, if I had the opportunity to play a sport such as blind football, I would have jumped to the chance. So if you know someone or you are someone yourself that would be interested in taking part in any of this, then please email them and they will let you know of all the details and necessary information. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of That Blind Lads podcast series for gaming accessibility. Today I am joined by the a program manager at Xbox and that is Caitlin Jones. Caitlin, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Jamie? Great, and I'm I'm very good, thank you. Um, thank you for taking time out your, I'm sure your extremely busy schedule to to come and talk to myself on the podcast. Yeah, of course, excited. So, how how are you, base? How are you to begin with? What how's how's life? <laughs> how's life? Um, it's good. Uh, you know, I feel like working in and gaming accessibility day to day. It's really awesome. Um. You know, I feel very grateful to have an opportunity like that where, you know, you feel like one, you get to work in gaming, which is cool and awesome. But then you also get to, you know, try to make those experiences better for hopefully as many people as possible. So life is good. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds sound like a nice way to go about things. And I've, I've asked this to everyone that um, I spoke to on this series who obviously gaming is their full time job. What do you do? You game as like in your in your spare time as like leisure and enjoyment, or is it something completely different? I do. Um, I'm definitely not uh, a hardcore gamer by any means, but I play just about every night. You know, kind of as I'm winding down for the day. Um, I I feel like I tend to go back to the same games over and over again. I'll just play Stardew Valley or you know something really low key uh, to kind of just settle down for the night, mm. but also been playing uh, The Last of Us Part 2 finally not quite as relaxing but uh I have been enjoying it a lot so <laughs> yeah that's 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 one of my go-tos and yeah like you said not not so relaxing um but yeah I've done it as as a blind person who is in my games that I can actually play you know mostly on my own uh part one and part two of that is like I seem to just keep going back to, um, but as people will find out through this episode and through this series that it's kind of accessibility in gaming is it's just getting started, especially this year, this kind of autumn period. There's a few that are coming out that you know are definitely building on previous um, accessibility installations, so to speak. So. For yourself, obviously, you work in gaming now. How, where did your um, your your kind of idea of 
gaming or your love for gaming start like as a child or was it something you got into later in life yeah it was definitely something uh that I've been doing since I was really young I remember my first exposure with gaming I was probably five or six maybe even younger and my dad uh was a huge PC gamer. So I would just sit on his lap and watch. And then, you know, eventually I would start wanting to play. So he would let me do basic stuff on the keyboard, like the spa- press the space bar to jump and things like that. Well, he would do more of the intense controls and the mouse and everything like that. So uh, like, yeah, I remember my first games ever kind of being like Quake and, uh, you know, Thief and that, that sort of stuff. And then from there, um, when I was, you know, kind of growing up, I was always a big Nintendo player. So I had all the all the Game Boys and the Nintendo 64 and then that kind of stuff. So it's definitely been a, a lifelong thing for me. Was it always, but especially as you got into your teen years and then your adult years, was it always, was this gaming as a full-time job always something that you looked at or was it something that just came almost out of nowhere for you? Oh, yeah, it was definitely never anything I thought that I would be getting into uh, as a full-time job when I was younger. Uh, I was never a very, like, technical kind of person. So being in the gaming industry now is definitely not where I thought I would be back then. Yeah. And also some other asked people, especially on your side of the asset when it comes to gaming, is obviously now you've seen, like, the, you know the proper details when it comes to putting a game together and you've you've obviously spoke to people either within xbox or other game developers who you know produce the game in all the all the different aspects do you like when you do come to play it do you kind of look at it differently or have like a new found appreciation for the games that you play yes definitely both of those things um I feel like with anyone who works in any industry, you know, I'm sure like people who work in the film industry are highly critical when they're watching movies and, you know, there's things you can't not see or pick apart. So definitely have that experience. But yeah, I think the appreciation aspect of it, especially seeing some of those like really fantastic accessibility features that it's like, you know, I know these devs put a lot of thought and, and research and working with the disability community into implementing something like this. And you know how much goes into that. Um, it's always like you're you're kind of in awe because, mm-hmm. you know, the sausage making aspect that that was going on in the background. So, yeah, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's ex- from like. At least before I started doing this series and before I suppose people like yourself, like, I think, why can't you just put an audio cue there? <laughs> it's like, right. Why can't it just be that simple? But obviously, it's not. It's like there's so much more to it than just picking up an audio cue and placing it, you know, somewhere where you've got to jump or something like that. So it's, yep. it's definitely something that seems so simple on the outside, but inside it's in-depth and like, really complex, I suppose. Yeah, and it's it's been a huge learning experience so, for me as well. Um, just not coming from, uh, you know, the technical background space. I used to work. Uh, I was an occupational therapist. So I worked in in clinics and hospitals and things like that. So, kind of coming in from the accessibility advocacy perspective and being like, well, why can't we just make this laptop easier to open? Like, why is the magnet so strong? And then learning the technical details of like. Well, if you make it so weak that anyone can open it, 
they tend to open in backpacks and die on en route and things like that. So like, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a huge learning, learning opportunity of having to work with the developers and understand what constraints they're facing and then work together towards an accessibility solution that actually accommodates the needs of, you know, both parties. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, that you mentioned there, I'm guessing that's an actual thing in the, the whole, like, the laptop being able to open yeah. a laptop and how heavy it is is that that's an actual thing it's considered because that to me i'm like what i didn't even think about that yeah yeah coming from like again the, the clinical space we'd see a lot of folks who um you know they ha- might have very limited strength uh, maybe they have diagnoses like uh, muscular mm. dystrophy or spinal muscular atrophy you know those sort of things where even like lifting the lid the weight of the lid of a laptop could be really really difficult for those folks so a lot of times like as a as a therapist working with folks who need their devices adapted so they could easily access them whether you know that software like screen narration but also those those physical adaptations too like we used to super glue Mm. like ribbons to the inside of a laptop lid just to kind of make a handle so they could at least use their whole arm as opposed to, you know, Mm. just their fingers to try to pry it open, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, like bringing that and trying to advocate for just easier access to things like the physicality um, of using the laptop is is something, a conversation that I had early on when I first joined Microsoft and they walked me through that. And it was kind of just that light bulb moment of like, yeah, everything can't just be, you know, a very simple solution. Sometimes there are many different things to consider and you have to work together to make sure everyone's needs are being met. Mm. Thinking out of the box and using as many kind of uh, communication channels as, as as possible to make sure you cover every corner. I suppose whether it's a product, a physical product, or or you know, or uh, a, a game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So obviously, you said you were um, an activation therapist beforehand. What mm-hmm. kind of would say there's many um, transferable skills that you, you took from that job into the job that you came into at Microsoft and the job that you're in now. Yeah, I think probably the main thing is just experience working with folks with all different kinds of disabilities and and a lot of them. Um, So, you know, I feel like it's it's always fantastic when we have our developers more able to like do things like inclusive design workshops where we'll bring in folks from the community and they can talk with them for a couple of days um, and, and really learn and work together towards solutions. But ha- coming from a clinical background, like I've been able to um, kind of firsthand experience the barriers that some of my patients and clients have had with everyday tasks um, at, at really, really large volumes. Um, so I think just getting that exposure to like typical barriers, you know, throughout the environment and throughout using technology and everyday things and bringing that to Microsoft um, and kind of like, you know, I talk about the example of uh, hacking the laptop lid with the ribbon. Um, I used to do the same thing with like gaming peripherals and, you know, using duct tape and kind of just making things work uh, because they weren't accessible off the shelf and bringing back those quote unquote hacks that a lot of OTs have to do um, and integrate that development Mm. process of the next device or iteration of that controller or whatever. This way, ideally, it's more accessible off the shelf as opposed to, you know, a lot of folks having to hack stuff so it works. So I think 
that's definitely been really helpful. Mm. And also, um, the other, the other kind of skill set that I've learned as an OT as well is just as OTs, like we think about the whole person and we kind of have to assess the demands of an activity they want to do, but holistically. So, you know, thinking about, um, if one of my clients just had a stroke, uh, and they want to safely prepare, a meal, we're not just thinking about, you know, maybe any paralysis or weakness they have as a result of the stroke, but also cognitively, you know, um, is it safe for them to be using the fire and the stove and all of those things? And what are like, what are the demands across the whole person, um, emotional as well? And I think Mm. thinking about, you know, tasks and how people have to interact with technology or how they experience a game, like, we need to think about people as as whole people too, um, especially when it comes to accessibility. So I think that that sort of mindset has been helpful as well. Mm. And you're saying now, like you've had time to work for Microsoft, and you've also been that person as as an occupational therapist. You've kind of seen and worked on both sides of it, really. Like you've worked with you know, people who, with disabilities and kind of spoke to them and had feedback from them and what helps, what is best for them. And you've also kind of acted on almost acted on you know what feedback disabled people give in the you know the gaming space or the the technology space yeah yeah i think so with microsoft and xbox what was that like for you first kind of dipping into it obviously you was a gamer growing up and that but and you like you said you never really expected to and be end up working in gaming or especially in gaming accessibility so what were the learning learning curves for yourself and what kind of surprise just the further you into your job you got yeah it was definitely a a very big transition transition for me um even just from the day-to-day perspectives like in the therapy space and working in a hospital and then now you're in an office building in uh you know kind of a more corporate setting which Mm. wasn't as big of a deal uh, but I think probably one of the the biggest things um, to kind of wrap my head around was just like the fact that it was, you know, it's a business, it's a, it's a corporation. So as much as I'm used to being mm-hmm. able to, you know, like spend an hour with a single client or, you know, go out of my way to like really index on a single person or a single group of people uh, at a company like Microsoft, you're making a product for thousands and thousands, you know, millions of people in some cases and having to factor in like all of those voices uh, as opposed to, you know, me taking my role of duct tape and hacking a super unique solution for a single patient with a very specific, you know, disability. Is that something that took time for you or was you someone who kind of, is, was it almost like working at Microsoft almost, I don't know, from the outside in, it feels like if you work for like Microsoft, or Xbox, you know, any of the big um, technology businesses. So obviously working for, you're like just in an office generally, would you say you kind of knew what to expect or was it different because of it being Microsoft that you ended up working for? Because from like the outside looking in for myself, like working for a company as big as Microsoft, the Xbox section or the accessibility or whatever it is, you're slightly different, just your office type thing. Or am I just like completely, completely out of touch? I just have no idea. No, it's it's definitely. Um, I think it's definitely different than like one would assume the typical office kind of setting is. Um, 
just from a, also like a cultural perspective, working in Xbox, like people are gamers and we work on games, which is fun and enjoyable. So like we like to have fun at work and like, you know, um, they they treat us very well and we have like nice get togethers, especially post COVID, um, just trying to, you know, make sure that we can still see each other or those who are still around face to face. So it's definitely a unique work work experience, despite it being kind of like a, a corporate office. There are very cool things about it, too, that I feel like the typical office job like doesn't have. And you mentioned COVID. I'm sure you probably answered questions like this hundreds of times, especially after kind of pandemic um died down a bit but during that time where obviously everyone across the world was being told to stay at home and you know do as much as you can work from home how did that did that change your like the actual doings the operations of your job and everyone else in your team or did they roughly stay the same um it definitely changed the day-to-day like they closed down the physical campus so we were all working from home um which you know, I feel like we kind of felt the same isolation of not seeing people that pretty much everyone else felt. Um, in terms of our team, we didn't really experience anything that different and like with how our roles changed or anything like that, because for the most part, we were able to do our jobs from home anyway um, and sort of manage and oversee programs and mm-hmm. accessibility efforts. So that was definitely good for us, but we do know a lot of teams who you know, their day-to-day is just completely changed. If they were a testing team or like a QA team that you had to physically be there. Um, yeah, like they they had to do a lot of yeah. careful thinking around how to change their operations. But I didn't get any uh, firsthand insight into, um, you know, how challenging that probably was. Yeah, so it's interesting, like, you think that this most jobs think that you had to transfer from the office to the home and you're fine, but some jobs actually require you to be, you know, even if it is just office, you still need to be that you need to talk to, especially if it's people that aren't in the same team as you, you know, like external individuals, for example, like if you need to talk to a disabled person or you want to watch them play a game in order to then, you know, carry out some research stuff like that, that's not as not as simple as just, you know, going over teams and asking questions. It's like a bit more complex than that, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And that's a good point. Our, yeah, the user research teams were probably the most heavily affected because uh, just in general, yes, not being able to bring people in just because, you know, gaming and keeping things secretive until they launch and having the, that big surprise moment is really important in the industry. So a lot of testing for both hardware mm-hmm. games like software, yeah, that was all for the most part, like whenever possible happening, happening on site and in, in person. But yeah, once COVID hit, it, that was very difficult. And then especially for bringing in our players with disabilities, um, like our team used to go into hospitals a lot and do adaptive gaming nights and teach the therapists and kind of hang out with the patients and things like that. And we weren't able to do that anymore and get that first time mm. experience with folks. So yeah, it was, it was pretty difficult. We still found ways to make it work remotely, but, you know, it's, it's just not the same. No, it's not. And you've got to deal with Wi-Fi, which, you know, I know <laughs> yeah. all about. Um, so for yourself, obviously, the past, so you've been a few people, the past, like, five, three to five, like, accessibility, especially within gaming, has come quite a long way, whether that's, like, you know, the consoles themselves or a game itself. 
what has it been like for you to kind of be amongst it and just watch it evolve and, and develop over those years? It's It's been really, really awesome, um, especially as somebody who, you know, in the beginning, it when it comes to the hardware space, like my my dad had a nonprofit where he was hacking controllers since 2012, like way before the adaptive controller came out. Um, so I used to just like sit there and watch him custom solder and make all these uh, adaptive rigs and stuff for the folks that he was working with. And now it's just like, not only does Xbox have their adaptive controller, but Sony has their access controller coming out really soon. Uh, there's a Horiflex controller. So it's just like, mm. um, it's been amazing to see how far we've come. Um, I'm partial to hardware because that's where I started and I, I just really like hardware, uh, but also on the game side too. Um, mm. Definitely just seeing what studios are coming out with and knowing you know when a new game comes out for the most part, if you go into their settings menu, like accessibility settings or you know just settings in general and that customization is just becoming more and more common across the gaming industry and then also internally like having teams uh proactively approach us about wanting to make things more accessible and being excited about it like it's no longer a thing that we always have to ask for uh but rather like teams Mm -hmm. are are the ones that are seeking it out which is just always super exciting in your time, what would you say? You're kind of putting on, put you on the spot, but what would you say? The one thing in terms of accessibility, especially on the hardware side, has kind of stuck out for you that you kind of like. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Like, obviously, the the adaptive controller uh, was really fantastic. Definitely biased mm-hmm. to that. Um, I think something I've seen lately. Uh, it's it's made by a company called BioWave. They're they're newer. I believe they're kind of just getting started, but uh, at Gamescom in Germany and at PAX West, uh, they've actually had prototypes of a new controller they're making uh, called the Proteus controller. And it's this like kind of modular cube design. Um, and I'm so excited for it. Like I I think it's, it's really fantastic and I'm really excited to see how people use it when it comes out. Mm, it's it kind of, for me anyway, I don't know if it for you because you kind of you know you see things happen for yourself in your day-to-day job and what have you but for me like you don't even think that these things are actually possible and you don't realize that te- technology is capable of like doing things like that in so many different ways like i spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago who um mentioned i think is it google that is it the game face or something like yeah. that yeah yeah they're aiming to like have you like control the game or whatever it is just by your facial movements expressions kind of thing yeah yeah that's super cool so, so you just think yeah how one how that works that's a bit mental but it's still like just wow and like we said it's kind of just the beginning i suppose in it of accessibility whether it's hardware or software or the game itself yeah for so sure for yeah. you for yourself going forward like where do you see well yourself personally and also kind of gaming accessibility space whether that's again like hardware software or or games and where would you where would you like to see if that it hasn't quite gone to yet yeah I think you know I would love to see 
more accessible VR experiences and us kind of leaning more into into that space, um, especially because I, I just think it could play a really powerful tool. Again, me being partial to, you know, rehabilitation in the clinical space, um, but just from like a, mm. a rehab, um, with even isolation perspective, you know, you might have somebody who due to the nature of their injury while they're recovering, like they have to lay down on the, in their hospital bed all day. Um, but at least be able to experience, mm. you know, something outside of the, the visual confines of the wall of their room and that sort of stuff. But unfortunately I think VR is one of the areas that we really just have not invested, um, a good baseline of accessibility solutions for yet. Um, so I'd love to see us go there for sure. Is that is that do you think because VR is although you know we've seen it for several years now it's kind of still very much in its infant stages obviously compared to the console we've had consoles for very forty years but VR what is it probably say about ten years maybe if that yeah yeah I definitely think even though it it's, it's technically been around for a bit I think um, it's still relatively new and I think people are still kind of figuring it out. Um, and it's definitely, it hasn't been adopted as, as largely as, as console or PC gaming. But I think the other thing to contributing mm-hmm. to it is just the complexity of it. Um, you know, like the movement based controls and gyroscopes and all of that kind of stuff, like the, the nature of how you interact with a lot of VR systems just in and of itself is, is not accessible uh, for folks with, you know, various levels of limited mobility and, and that sort of stuff. So it's like, if you can't interact with the hardware to turn it on, um, you're kind of stuck from that point on and and vice versa. So, yeah, I think it's a complex thing that we we're still trying to figure out. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it will like come eventually. But like we said, it's it's very much at the beginning, and like and also like I said, it's people still trying to work it out, and it's not as simple as just I suppose pressing you know A or you know pressing well pressing a button basically or a key a keyboard a key on your on your laptop or something like that. It's a bit more you know, tech for one for a better word than just the simple press of a button. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, there's just a lot more complexities going into the input aspect of it. But I think I think mm. we'll get there, hopefully. Everyone seems to at some point, especially, obviously, you guys at Microsoft, Xbox, Sony, and everyone else, like, I think that, that is, and I don't know if you agree, just have, like, accessibility seems to have just a, a generally greater, I don't know what you want to call it, like, ring around it to say, like, accessibility isn't just for, you know, few disabled people it's if done correctly and properly it's it's kind of for everyone yeah exactly so for yourself um personally where where would you like to see yourself obviously in probably one of the best jobs you could have in the world of working you know in xbox and on, on the program manager side but is there anything that you'd like to go into yourself that maybe you haven't had the opportunity to yet or is it somewhere you just kind of see what comes your way and decide there and then? Yeah, I love the the gaming accessibility industry. I don't think I plan on leaving that anytime soon. You know, it's it's just really fantastic and I, and I love it. I think if anything, um, I'd love to maybe go back, uh, get some education on 
more of the technical aspects of like various development areas, um, like software, firmware, that sort of stuff. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing I'm lacking um, is the the technical mm-hmm. side of things and hoping that continuing to grow that knowledge of mine will, you know, make it better and easier to work with developers. Because I think that's one of the things where a lot of folks in accessibility tend to not go wrong, but like are, aren't as able to easily express or get buy-in from like the developers that they're trying to advocate to do work for um, is like not understanding mm. what the technological limitations of what you're asking for are. Um, and yeah, like if you can't, if you can't meet halfway and understand like what's actually possible versus, you know, just your end vision of what the most accessible experience would be, regardless of whether the experience that's being built can actually support that. Um, it makes it hard for, you know, those engineers to want to get on board with that. So, yeah, probably digging into that a little mm. bit more. Would you say on that, would you say like when you speak with the the engineers and the people that, you know, make it, you know, make it tick or, or, or whatever you want to say, like, is there sometimes barriers when it comes to like the language and the communication, but obviously more technical language in that? And does that make it hard for you to kind of convey something like, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I th- I think so. Um, I feel like I've definitely picked up on a lot of things now that have made it a little bit easier. Um, but sometimes it's also just a matter mm. of like knowing the functionality of your of your product like when asking um for specific accessibility features like um you know if we want to add some sort of like accessibility feature to our controller for example um and you know you don't have an understanding of how our controllers work whereas you know for example our standard controllers don't have onboard storage for remapped profiles um so when you remap your standard controller it saves to the cloud versus like an elite controller an adaptive controller when you create a remap profile those devices can actually save those profiles onto the devices themselves so you could you know carry around them around from xbox to xbox without having to sign in Sorry, this is turning into a weird long tangent story. Um, but you know, if we're asking, no, for... no, you teaching me stuff now. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. This is just like a very random, super specific example that came to mind. But yeah, so like if we're asking for um, some kind of feature around remapping on standard controllers, and you you know you don't actually know that we don't support that kind of onboard storage to support that feature. Like, obviously it's going to be hard because then the engineering team has to like continue to have these conversations with you where it's like, we understand why you're asking for this feature, but it's quite literally not possible. Um, So like, yeah, as opposed to you understand the limitations and you now pitch a solution that works within the confines of what's actually possible to eliminate a lot of that back and forth conversation and instead just have like a fully positive collaboration where you work together toward the solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, no, you taught me something new now about the, the remapping and the kind of saving it to a controller itself. So um, I've been one of those people the way you know you see like these all these different remote okay, controllers and see these standard one and you see the elite one you think really what what is the difference <laughs> and then mm-hmm. stuff like that obviously to people who actually use it makes 
a massive difference. You can, like you say, you don't have to mess around with signing into other people's consoles, and it's just there in the palm of your hand. And yeah, there you go. That's learn something new day. That's uh, <laughs> that is pretty cool. So yeah, I think talking like gaming accessibility, like you said, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a big thing. Like we said at the start, it's, there's so much to it. It's not just you know one thing one solution well one problem one solution and then it's all done like there's obviously it's getting it growing what would your kind of view be and how you see it like wider game developers whether it's indie or the triple a ones how how from your point of view have you seen accessibility grow and what what is that like to see yeah, I think one of the areas that we're starting to see accessibility growth um, that I feel like we haven't as much in the past is around like blind gaming accessibility and um, making sure that those, uh, you know, those important cues that are in the game um, are accessible through non-visual means. Um, and I think that that's something that like definitely in the past and up until very recently has not really been, um, you know, as common. Um, But, you know, with the new Forza Motorsport coming out and their blind driving assist mode and and a lot of other great stuff that's been coming out lately, um, I think that's, that's been really exciting. I'm curious uh, how, how you feel Mm -hmm. about those statements though. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm texting. Unfortunately, I haven't, I've I've seen all these videos about for the motorsport. I've seen like Brandon Cole, who I've had on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, playing a game and stuff like that, and a few other people, a few other blind people, and that yeah, that it it just seemed pretty amazing. Hopefully, I'll be able to get my hands on um the game and actually see because like I was I've I've had sight in the past, so I've played I played all you just basically every game of the since I like your racing games and sports games and story games basically everything and obviously now it's been probably like I don't know, eight going on ten years where I haven't played a game like that so it feel like it'd be weird and like watching videos like Brandon's when he plays it you kind of hear it in his voice and I'm guessing you see it on his face as well like you just can't quite believe that you can actually just play a racing game and just by going off you know audio cues and that so so I'd, I'd I'd agree with you and say that yeah that's that is the biggest at least in in my opinion obviously I'm biased because I'm blind <laughs> but um yeah it's probably one of the biggest awards I definitely agree there and just just to see other genres of games take up and and run with it really like you know I think it, it takes someone a, a game like Forza to pick up something like that run with it for then for the you know uh. For the titles within the same genre to to think oh yeah it's actually there's actually something here would you agree with that yeah yeah and i think that's like one of the best things about accessibility so at least you know especially for us at xbox it's not a competition um like a lot of other things in the gaming industry are but rather it's like you know if, mm-hmm. if a game or a studio finds something that works like let's all just use it, you know, like, it's not about uh, Mm. 
bringing more people to a certain console when it comes to accessibility, but rather like as an industry, I feel like we do work work together a lot more and, and share things. So I do I do like that and I look forward to more and more of that. And that do you do you find yourself speaking to like people outside of Microsoft and Xbox who are in their accessibility teams of their companies? Is that is that something that happens regularly or Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, especially on like the studio mm-hmm. side of things, like we have um our all of our first party studios that Xbox owns, um, they have an entire accessibility team just for studios folks, which is run by Tara Volker. Um, but our team or the team that I sit on, we kind of cover accessibility for everything else. So like our third party studios, if they want to chat um, about the accessibility of their game, indie studios, um, uh, we do accessibility for, you know, like platform settings, hardware, et cetera. But yeah, it's it's super not uncommon, super not uncommon. I don't know the how many negatives, but it's it is common for for you know like us hmm. to talk with the accessibility team or accessibility leads of other studios and companies and things like that. Um, for sure, yeah. And I suppose that's that's what you want to hear, really. And it like like I said, it's when it comes to accessibility, it's something that just benefits everyone, and it shouldn't be a competition. It's not like. I don't know, an example of Samsung and iPhone, Apple, you know, biting each other over the, the physical design of their, their phones and stuff like that. It's, that accessibility just is different in that way. It's some of the, it's, if, if something works and it works really well for a particular group of people or everyone, then why not just share it and say, look, this is going to benefit all of us. So there's no need to be protective over it or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I feel like when and I've said this every time when I speak to people like yourself, um, who you know have worked in the gaming accessibility space, and there's so much to it that you could, we could probably just go on for ages diving into all sorts of um specific topics within accessibility. But um, it's just one of those things, and also I, I could probably speak to her again in five minutes' time, and what we talk about would be entirely different to what we spoke about today um which is the kind of the good thing about accessibility is it's especially now it's always it's always improving and it's always progressing and, and evolving into much better things um but yeah i just want to say thank you to yourself Caitlin, for for um for coming onto the podcast taking time out your your day to to speak to me and share all your knowledge um about about the, the accessibility world, especially within Microsoft and Xbox. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for for having me and and for getting the word out there. And uh, yeah, all that all that you do on the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm, and I said this. I'm like a geek. Well, not a geek. The, opposite, <laughs> the word's gone out of my head now. I'm the I'm, I'm the opposite of a geek when it comes to gaming accessibility. Like I'm new to it, relatively. <laughs> so like, it's um. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's exciting, and, and, and I absolutely love speaking to people like yourself just to broaden um, my knowledge on it all. But if um, if people want to find yourself, um, um, socials or on, online, where where can they go? Yeah, I am on t- Twitter or X. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to actually call it these days. Um, <laughs> my handle is at uh, at Caitlin Jones underscore. And I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So, 
Awesome. Yeah. And uh, my if people want to find myself, they can at that blind ad on Twitter slash X or at TBL Media UK for the podcast specific account. If you haven't already, please go and check out the first or the other three episodes of this series where I spoke to people like Brandon Carl, Alex Carey, and John Dickens. I hope you've enjoyed listening to me talking to Galen just as much as I have done myself. And yeah, make sure to subscribe, follow, wherever you listen to the podcast, and we'll catch up very soon. Thank you.